welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to be back on the mic with you guys. It's always a, a dang good time when I have Rick on the mic with me. A good buddy of mine, Rick Paletsk, on the show. Um, we're talking about a hunt we had back in December. Uh, we were filming for the, the Last Stand series on YouTube. We were out in eastern Colorado hunting with a good buddy, his TR. Um, so we're going to talk about that hunt. We're going to talk about some few things that, that happened during that hunt that maybe you didn't see um, on the YouTube shows. We're going to talk about the difference in just land out there, how open it is and the different tactics we use versus maybe what he's used to using there in eastern Kansas where the ground's a lot more chopped up and, and things like that. Plus, we're going to get into a little bit just on land access in general and how important that is um, in the whole scheme of things when it comes to calling coyotes, really how much land access you need to be successful the entire season. So lots of good stuff there we're going to we're gonna touch on. But before we get going, I uh, want to thank this episode's sponsor, which is Swagger Bipods. If you're in the market for a new bipod, check out their website, which is swaggerbipods.com. Um, you know, I want to touch a little bit on the, the, the QD42. I run the Hunter 42, which is the system that actually attaches to my gun. Um, the legs just fold right in. It hooks up into my swivel stud or a Picatinny rail, whatever you have. Um, I like that because it's, it's just hands-free and it gives me, you know, more hands to cross fences and drag coyotes and things like that. But if you're like Rick and you're more old school and you're used to using the old style shooting sticks and things like that, you know, the QD 42 is probably up your, up your alley. It comes with a little Picatinny mount that'll actually hook to your swivel stud. Or if you just have a Picatinny, uh, rail already on your gun, it'll hook to that. So you can actually take it on and off, but you still have that same swagger system with, um, the ability to adjust the le the height of the legs and it has the springs to give you that flexibility and mobility that you want. Now, here's a little tech tip on these QD42, something that Rick showed me. If, you, if you're having some issues with them, thinking maybe they're not quite as stable as you would think or what you would want, you can actually go down to your automotive shop and you can pick up some of that heat shrink sleeve. And it's the stuff they use to maybe hook, if you have a whole bunch of wires and you want to shrink them all together into one big wire, um, that's what I'm talking about. So you buy this, you can cut it off in maybe a three or four inch chunk and you can slide it up over the leg all the way up till it covers your spring. And then you take your lighter to it and it'll shrink it down around that spring. And what's that, what that's going to do for you, it's going to stiffen up that spring. So you're still going to have the mobility and flexibility, uh, that you want, but it's going to stiffen it up enough where you're going to feel a lot more stable and steady. Uh, once you, you bear down on your rifle and get a coyote in your crosshair. So just a little tech tip there that might help you out if you already are running a QD42 or if you're looking into uh, buying one. But like I said, if you're in the, in the market of a, a new bipod system, be sure and check out uh, swaggerbipods.com. Well, Rick, great to have you back on the podcast, buddy. Yep, thank you. It's been a while. You know, I haven't seen you in about a, 10 days now since I've been out in Kansas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, we got a lot to talk about. Um, you know, it's been a while since you've been been on the podcast. Last time you just got back uh, from your Alaska hunt, we talked about your brown bear hunt. But now you're done with the big game stuff. You've been getting serious with the coyotes. So, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. <clears throat> you know what I really want to talk about on this podcast is, you know, right before Christmas we were out in Colorado. Um, it's kind of a hunt we've done, you know, for many many years i've been out there probably with you now for five or six years you've been out there way longer than that but kind of want to talk about that hunt everybody's you know saw it on the last stand um you know our, our two and a half day hunt so i want to talk about that and then i really want to kind of get into a little bit of of 
property management, you know, how much land access it really takes to be successful to hunt coyotes all year, relationships with landowners and, and all that kind of stuff. Cause you know, you and I were talking before this, it's, it's a pretty important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it is definitely. It's huge. You know, so, so to give everybody a little background on, on Eastern Colorado, you know, we always go out with, you know, with your good buddy TR and how long ago, you know, you, you've, talked about in previous podcasts your story of growing up with tr out in kansas um how long ago did yep. he move out to colorado uh he went to votech for a couple of years and then he went to colorado so he was probably 20 21 oh he's been out there a long time when then. he moved out there oh yeah yep yep so so have you been you know so so essentially for the last 25 30 years you've been you've been heading out to eastern colorado to kind of hunt with him then Yep. Yep. Early, early I on. I think we've met farmer Mark in the late eighties. What's that? God. You've known him that long. Yeah. Yep. That, mm -hmm. That's, that's crazy. You know, we'll get into farmer Mark here in a little bit. That's, you know, that's pretty much where we spent, you know, this recent hunt in December, we spent, uh, you know, a day and a half at farmer Mark's, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, you know, when you started going out to Eastern call, I mean, that's kind of similar country to what I grew up in, but obviously it's a lot different than you know eastern north central kansas whatever you want to call it where you're at uh yep, it's way different you know you you started filming dvds did you do a little dvd filming out in that eastern colorado country with tr back when you were oh doing yeah that? yep yes we did yep i think you i remember you telling me a story uh when you filmed your bowmania video you guys actually did some stuff out there right yeah we thought that'd be the ultimate to shoot one out there in the wide open and tr he did finally <laughs> took us well, a while <laughs> i think you got one over there proudfoot or something didn't you tell me i think i was out there hunting with you one time and there was a knob over by proudfoot and had some trees and had some good yep. cover um yep yeah i remember that but you know what uh i know you've always, it's kind of it's always been your place where you've traveled mostly right i mean you hunt a lot around your home but when you've ever traveled for the most part it's usually been out there to hunt with tr a couple times a season yep used to go probably three or four times a winter actually it's definitely a different game out there i mean you know the cover i mean you know obviously having some cover to sit by and hide you know is important you're not lacking that in, in kansas but when you get out into that country it's uh <laughs> it's yeah a little far and few between sometimes yep that's a fact i like it just because you get to watch them come for so far away you know i really love it out there and that's what i like about it yeah. I mean, anytime you can watch a coyote come from four or five, 600 yards, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, you know? And, and then the cool part too, is you actually get to see reactions. You know, you may spot a coyote out there half mile, thousand yards, and it doesn't know you're there. So you actually get to see its reaction from the second you turn on the call, which is always cool. I think. Yep. Now, when we, now when we head out there, you know, the first time I ever hunted with you out there, um, we were doing a little filming and we just kind of had our own cameras uh, you know, that was the first one. I mean, that was probably what, 2000 and I don't know, 14, 15, somewhere in there when I went with you and TR and actually Tim from Lucky Duck showed up for that hunt. Um, you know, we, you know, we've been hunting that ground. I've been yep. five or six years. You've been hunting now for what, 20 more than that, 20, what, 30 years. If you said you started met farmer Mark in 89. Yeah. Yeah. Probably 30 years. Yeah. Dang. Yep. And has he had most of that ground? you know ever from that or has he picked up some ground lost some ground and things like that over those years both both like where we 
we go on Sunday, you know, the shy stuff or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all new. Gotcha. I hadn't had that for too long. So as we're, as we're going from stand to stand and you're telling me, Oh, we've killed them here. You're basically relating to over 30 years of stands on particular spots, right? Yeah. Long time. Yep. <laughs> so you may be Most remembering a stand, but it may have been six years weird... ago was the last time you killed one on that stand, you know? <laughs> yeah. A lot of them got some kind of unique names too, like the happy meal spot that, that a friend of mine, TR shot one with a bow and he didn't get it filmed. And I was so mad when we all met up, Farmer Mark told the guy that I had brought out to run the camera to take me to Lyman and buy me a Happy Meal at McDonald's on the way home. <laughs> so that's why that we haven't went there much the last couple of years. You've heard us say the Happy Meal. Oh, right? yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think if you told me that story before, that's that's pretty funny. <laughs> it is it is unique after you hunt a place as long as you guys have in some of these, you, you kind of come up with your own little nicknames, you yep. know, for everything to help you kind of remember and say, oh yeah, yeah, you know where that happened, and you you don't mm -hmm. remember until you throw a little nickname out like that, and then you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, let's get into that hunt a little bit. Um, you know, if you watched the the last stand episode, I think it's episode five is our first day in Colorado. And, you know, let's, I guess, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the history of this place. Um, you know, you guys have developed a great relationship with farmer Mark, um, over the year years, I guess. Um, you know, how important yep. is that relationship with, with Mark as a landowner, you know, keeping access and being able to hunt a place like that? Oh, it's, it's one of the, as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the most important things you, you do as a, predator hunter or any kind of hunt you know you you build relationships and i know you we pulled in with tr when we're not when we're out east you know and he'll say i got he'll have them little bags of christmas candy you know he drops the farmers off we help farmers you know work cattle or yeah that's to have you got to have a lot of places to hunt and that's how you got to go about doing it i think Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, places like that are, are hard to come by, you know, and, and for the most part, you know, farmer Mark, I mean, it's no secret. There hadn't been a million guys calling coyotes on his place when we showed up there, you know, Yeah, that's right. It's, you can't get any fresher ground than that. Yeah. And that's important. And there's no secret. I mean, this is private ground stuff that hadn't been touched a whole lot. You know, it is chopped up a little bit here and there. Yeah. So obviously there's boundaries and obviously, you know, neighbors could be hunting and stuff like that, but there's some decent sized chunks that you would feel like, you know, those coyotes probably haven't been messed with, which is, you know, a coyote hunter's dream, really. I mean, you know, we call it yeah. kind of virgin country, you know, per yep. se. And, and I suppose there's guys out there that might, you know, raise an eyebrow about that and say, oh, it must be nice to have ground like that. But, you know, you just don't stumble a prawn stuff like that. Usually it's, right. it's usually like you said, through those relationships that you've built and you've known this guy, you know, for 30 years and you've built those relationships and, you know, you've shown him that, you know, he can trust you guys on his ground, that you're going to help him out when he needs help. And, and, you know, you invite him along to come with us. I think that's, that's huge. Um, yeah. You know, and he really enjoys it. He's not a hardcore coyote hunter by any stretch, but he sure seems to enjoy going with us, you know, and watching, watching a few of his coyotes get killed. He likes it, <laughs> you know, and then just recent years, you know, G, you know, came into the picture and, uh, 
are, are they married now? Did they get married? Nope. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Nope. But you know, G G really likes to hunt. So that's kind of been a bonus too. You know, we go out there and, and, uh, you know, we bring her along and, and it's fun, you know, it's, it's just fun for me to bring people that don't hunt a lot of coyotes and kind of get them to experience some of the cool stuff we get to see all the time. You know, it yep. seems like, seems like she's really gotten into it. Um, you know, she but, likes it, you know, it, it's a challenge, you know, I mean, when you start talking about going out into that country, it's wide open stuff. You know, some of the bigger challenges of that big wide open country to me anyway, are getting into your stand without the coyote seeing you because there isn't that amount of cover and you're driving just across the wide open, you know? And yeah. It, yeah. I mean, that's tough. I mean, you bump coyotes. I mean, I think that one day we bumped what two or three coyotes just driving from stand to stand, which you don't want to happen, but it does out there. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, and then walking into stands, you know, some, it seems like you always have to walk over some sort of hill or somewhere yep. to get down to where you want to go. And I, you know, I mean, to me, guys, if, if you've never hunted the West or what I would call that the West, um, if you're an Eastern guy, I mean, that is a huge challenge we face out here is, you know, getting into stands without the coyotes, you know, knowing you're there. If you can get there without the coyotes knowing and, and the wind isn't howling 100 mile an hour, you know, and that call carries out there. I mean, you always feel like your odds are pretty dang good. Yep, it's it's probably my favorite place to go. If I got to travel somewhere and go calling, I want to go to TRs and I want to go to Farmer Marks. <laughs> Well, then, you know, to add it, uh, even a bigger challenge for us during this hunt, you know, there's seven of us on stand, which is pretty crazy. I mean, you talk to a lot of guys and they're like, oh, my God, I won't go on a stand with more than two or three tops, you know. But we've done that now for several years where there's seven of us counting you and me and TR and then G and Farmer Mark and then our two camera guys. Yeah. Um, you know, some guys make that's that's nuts. You know, we're driving with two vehicles from stand to stand. You know, we're parking. I mean, if you can hide one vehicle, you can hide two, obviously. Yeah. Seven of us walking in and, you know, it, it seems like a hard task, but really if you use that remote, I think, and get that call out away from me and everybody's sitting tied for the most part, it works yep. pretty good. Yeah. I, I, and when we kind of first started with that big mob, I was, I didn't like it at all, but we figured out how to make it work, you know? Yeah, I mean, this time, how many, we shotgunned, what, two or three coyotes with seven of yeah. us on stand? I mean, yep. you yep. know, I mean, it just takes a little imagination and, and spreading out, you know, and with that many shooters and stuff, we always have a downwind guy. And that's kind of how we set this up is I kind of ran the downwind for most of the time, and I always take a camera with me. And that's really what we've always tried to do filming this last stand. You know, initially when we started, we said, hey, we don't want to do anything different. We want We want to hunt just like we normally would hunt. And we just want cameras there to capture it. So having the two camera angles has always been important. So now we can still circle downwind how we normally would, 100, 200 yards, whatever. And then everybody else can kind of sit there with the main camera and, and make it happen. It works. When we, uh, you know, the, fun, the funny thing is about this, you know, when you, if you look kind of behind the scenes with the camera work, you know, we have a new production company this year with our Terra Media, you know. And, and the last guy, you know, Sean and Max with, with, uh, Dreamweaver creative, you know, they moved on to, to meat eater and, and bigger and better things. So, you know, they, we put more coyotes in front of those guys in the last three years than probably any other camera crew in the country. So we're starting from new, you know, with new camera guys and filming coyotes is not yeah. probably the hardest thing. And I know, I know Seth was relieved to finally get some wide open country because we started off the season in you know, sagebrush in Idaho. Then we went to the thick mesquite in Arizona, 
you know, and it's coyotes just bombing in left and right fast. You can't see him. <laughs> it seemed like he was pretty relieved to finally get to watch these coyotes come from, you know, four, five, six hundred yards. Yeah, I think he was. <laughs> I, th- I think he mentioned several times that, man, I wish we had started off here, you know, and uh, I could have, you know, got my feet wet to this. And so instead of jumping right into the, you know, thick cover and coyotes flying in at a hundred mile an hour from, you know, 50 yards out. <laughs> yep. He mentioned it to me too. <laughs> but we told him that the training wheels were coming off. So he, uh, they were on it. They were on their A game that, that weekend for sure. But, but starting off that, that first day of hunting, you know, it's, it's mid December, you ran the call most of the time that first time. So, you know, you going into an area like that, you know, the weather wasn't overly cold. It was just, I would say normal weather for, for December. Um, you know, what, what was your game plan, you know, as far as running the call, as far as sound sequences, things like that, you know, mid December, knowing the areas we were hunting, uh, walk, walk me through a little bit of what you were thinking, you know, as far as the sound sequences and things like that. Well, I like to, I like to howl and I don't do a lot of that around here during the day because they don't answer me around here, but out there, I don't know if it's because it's wide open and they don't have humans, you know, driving up and down roads all over the place or what, but they, they answer better out there for me anyway. And I just like to listen to them. You know, that's my thing. I, I mean, I like to, there probably wouldn't have had to start any standout with a how and we would have called the same cut you know what i mean oh yeah i agree that's i like to do that so plus when they do answer it tells you where the next ones we're going to hunt or at or whatever you know but yeah i i started every stand i think that day out was that female invitation five or blondie one or the other and then rolled into scooby snack i think and lucky pecker and ended every stand with sig kicking ass or schoolyard brawl or one of them other fights yes yeah, so it pretty much worked all day long so essentially you're going through the progression some howls then you're rolling into the prey distress scooby snack is like a rabbit right yep yeah yep. or the lucky peck which is the bird you know for x amount of minutes and then finishing with some sort of pup distress and things like that and i've talked about that kind of that series of that progression of sound sequences and things like that you know i mean were you thinking you know, at least my thought process that time of year, you're not really having to get too crazy. Just understanding, you know, when you can get intel from a landowner and the landowner says, you know, hey, I don't think anybody's really been in here messing with these coyotes. Um, you know, it shouldn't take much more than that, right? I mean, is that kind of what right. your mindset no. is? Probably could have turned a rabbit on all day long and had the same success. There ain't no way of really knowing, but yeah, it shouldn't have took too much to get them coyotes to come in yeah yeah i agree now you mentioned back to the howling about listen to them you know how it seems like you and i have a have kind of the same mindset on howling at the beginning of stand you know i don't really use the howling as a tool to call in the coyotes yeah it's more like you said it's just kind of like to locate them like it's kind of this little warm fuzzy feeling you get like okay there's the coyote over there yeah he might show up but if he doesn't now i know where i can go on the next stand you know, is that, is that what your kind of mindset is really? Yeah. Especially yep. in December, I'm, probably. I'm not thinking that I'm going to call them in with just a howl, but it, that does happen a lot, but I'm, it 
helps everybody shift and get pointed over, you know, but you know, and then ones that answer, right. And you're in their bubble, everybody, you know, Oh yeah. You almost got this feeling. As soon as I turn the next, whether I turn the rabbit on or the pup fight, you've got about 30 seconds. Cause they're going to be here, you know, when they're, <laughs> when they're inside that 300 yard bubble or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I you don't know, do, know. Do you change that a little bit later? I mean, obviously, you know, you're a little different than everybody because these are your sounds, the sounds that you've recorded. So I know a lot of times you're playing sounds to me. Anyway, it seems like you're just playing sounds to a almost listen to what they sound like out in the, in the, some of the stands, but then also maybe to try to, you experiment with a lot more sounds than I ever do on stand. And it's almost like you're trying to maybe, maybe one of these times you're going to hit the mother load and find that one sound that yeah, works oh yeah. on every coyote, you know? Um, well, that's, that's what I'm always dreaming of. And, and yeah, that's right. And I'm always playing some different stuff. And when I get a little system going, then I don't change it till it quits working. You know, I make about two dry stands in a row. I'm going to change something in my little sequence. You know, I don't know, probably don't need to, but you get in a, you get in a little rut. I do, you know, Oh, I think sometimes where I don't know. Yeah, I agree. And that's the way I, you know, you kind of have that series of, of sounds you want to play. And then, if, but if it's working, I mean, like the day, yeah. that first day we killed 10 coyotes and it was working, you know, almost every other stand, every third stand, we were calling in coyotes, it seemed like. And, you know, and yeah, if to me, if it's working, stick with it, you know, if you're making six, yeah. five, six, seven blank stands in a row, you know, now maybe you start thinking, well, you know, our coyote minds start thinking, well, is it because they don't like the sound? Is it because there's no coyotes here? Is it because they're just locked down and they're not really wanting to move unless we're right, you know, in their, you know, bubble kind of a deal. Yep. That's right. It's kind of like fishing. I think, you know, I, I mean, people always kind of relate it to fishing in a way, you know, I guess if you put on a certain lure and you finally are catching them on it, you know, no sense to take off the lure and put something yep. different on, I guess, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I like, and you're right. I like listening to the sound. They sound a little different out there in the wide open versus, you know, out behind dad's house and the freaking evergreen. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, yeah. They, they, I, I like listening to them out there. Plus I, I love to call rip around here, but I really love it rip out there. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big thing. You know, we're talking on the volume on these lucky duck calls, you know, 32 is the max and out there, if there's any amount of wind, you know, five, six, eight mile an hour or more. Yeah. I mean, I, I know at least I, when I was calling, I was maxing it out at 32. Um, I don't know. Were you playing it that much or you didn't even going that high? Yeah. All yeah, right. I was 28 I, to 32. Yeah. I didn't don't know. Tell if, TR. I, I didn't know if TR it whipped you down a little bit, you know, and that's funny because TR kills. Oh yeah. hundred plus. You tell me to turn country. You, on the way back to stands. On the way back to some stands, you'd, you'd tell me, you know, make, get that volume. I'm like, yeah, I got it up almost 32. And TR would be telling me to turn it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, there's a hundred different ways to kill coyotes. And it's fun. It's funny because, you know, TR kills a ton of coyotes every winter. And, you know, it just, it's always funny when we, we hunt with different guys, you know, how, how the styles are similar but there's yeah. these always these few little different nuances that everybody does just a little bit different you know and volume's a a big one you know but i'm never afraid well, to blow the, his, blow the volume up his his is different because he walks when when he's just by himself 
he just walks all over the damn place. You know what I mean? So he, he wants to walk two hills over and call again. And then he's going to walk. He don't, I don't know if he, why he wouldn't turn it to 32 and just skip a couple of hills. You know what I mean? I don't (laughs) know. And that's the thing too. You know, when people start asking me and I'm sure you get the same questions, you know, how, how loud should I play the call? Well, there's not a, there's not a cookie cutter answer, man. There's a, there's always like this, this whole pot of variables that go into how loud are we going to play it? You know, if our tactic like TR, if our tactic is, Hey, I'm going to make a one stand and I'm going to walk four or 500 yards over a couple of hills and make another stand. Well, yeah, I don't want the sound carrying out there seven, eight, a thousand yards because I'm going to make that on the next stand. I only want that sound carrying out four or 500 yards. And then therefore I can sit there less time because the coyotes aren't coming from far. But you know, if I get to the end of the road and I'm, this is the last stand I'm going to make. And then we're hitting, you know, heading to the new part of the ranch. Well, well, heck, you know, at that point, you know, let the, let the call eat, you know? Yep. And there was a couple of those stands. If you remember, you know, we're looking at a, we, we would walk over this little hill and get down off the side hill. So we weren't skyline and find some yuccas to sit amongst. And we'd be looking down in this Valley and then up this side hill and it'd be 800 yards to the others where it went up over the top. Right. Yeah. And I would look, I always look at stands like that and I say, okay, if there was a coyote anywhere in this Valley right here, they probably already saw us. So where are the coyotes going to come from on this stand? And for me on those stands, the only place those coyotes come from is over that far Hill, you know, 800 yards or more. So, Hey, you know, I got to put enough volume out there that that sound does carry over that farthest Hill to get there. And actually, I think the triple we killed, those coyotes all came from over that far hill, um, yeah. you know, and rolled in, you know, and if you wouldn't have been playing the sound loud enough, then, you know, who knows, we, we might've not even killed those coyotes. Yeah. Nope. I think it's a no brainer to have that thing ripping out there. That one stand where I shot that three legged one or that mess, that one, you could yeah, probably see for three or four miles there. Yeah. That was a huge stand, huge stand. Yeah. And all of a sudden that thing just pops out of nowhere, 200 mm-hmm. yards coming up the fence line, you know? But, you know, I'm going to go back to this volume thing again, because now we're, you know, I don't want somebody that's listening to this, you know, to say, oh, I'm going to rip it 32 because, you know, we get into some of your country, you know, yeah. with timber and, and tightness as far as cover and visibility. Well, you know, maybe 32 isn't what you need to be playing it on. I mean, there, like I said, you got to really look at those variables as far as, you know, how far are you thinking the coyotes are going to come from? Where's your next stand going to be? How much wind do I have? you know, yeah. and really kind of, you know, base your volume off of that. Yep. No, like around where I'm from here. I mean, we might call on one side of the road and then cross, you know, like on Walsh, you know, the other side of the road. Yeah. You don't want to be hell. If you turned it to 32, we could wreck four stands in a row at my place. At yeah. least they'd know we were out there calling when we got, I don't know how that, if they hear you, and they ain't going to cross the road to come to you. You think when you finally got to that spot, they'd be like, Oh no, we know what you dummies are doing. (laughs) You know, that's a very good question, you know, and that's one thing I've always tried to look at is, you know, these theories, you know, and that's a theory that we all have, you know, I think guys don't want to play the call too loud because they either think they're going to spook coyotes off or coyotes that are way out there are going to hear it, you know, but they're too far to come to the call and it's going to screw up the next stand. If I slip in there, you know, I mean, obviously none of us have a crystal ball where we can see that coyote that's out there at a mile that hears it, that doesn't want to come, you know, we're making these broad assumptions, right? Really? I mean, 
Yeah. Really? It's yeah. just, it's like your theory versus my theory and everybody else's. But I, so I take a few things and, and, and I'm sure you've seen this a handful of times. I've seen it probably 20 or 30 times over the last 20 years. And it happens out on these big wide open stands is I'll set up on a stand and call and out there, you know, six, 800 yards, thousand yards. I'll see this coyote, maybe sit up. Maybe it was laid up or something, you know, sleeping and it sits up and it mills around a little bit and it's looking for it no doubt can hear the sound and pretty soon it just lays back down and i'm like well you son of a gun so i'll kill the call and i'll sneak in half the distance whether it's you know i'll get within two three four hundred yards where that coyote laid back down and i'll turn on the same dang sound rabbit or whatever and that coyote will come running right in yeah have i have before? seen that not too much around here because it's so thick you know i don't get a watching but i've seen it with that with tr before yeah so in my so if we talk about this theory obviously that coyote just heard the sound 10 minutes ago <laughs> you know mm -hmm. all i did is get closer and that same mm -hmm. coyote came running and granted this is only a few instances you know it's not going to say this happens all the time but so if you apply that same theory to the theory of playing the call too loud and not, you know, you don't want the sound to cast clear out to, you know, the next stand you're going to be going to. Wouldn't that same theory apply? I mean, I don't know. I Yeah, I would think, but I think for me around here, there's so many, and there's a, there ain't, there ain't nobody that don't have a revolt around here. You know what I mean? I think yeah, yeah. just the, the sounds get saturated too much. Too many people calling and there that rolls back into what we started out talking about is having a tremendous amount of properties to hunt where you can get 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 away and get somewhere where they ain't all sharpened up oh yeah for sure for sure now that volume it's so it, it'll be a controversy in the coyote world for oh, years yeah. years to yep. come but all i know is this i'm glad that the revolts and the roughnecks and stuff have crazy volume because you know, when you get out in those big, that big open country and you get in some wind, man, I'd rather have the volume than not have it at all. Yep. That's a fact. My dad reminds me of an old saying about engines. He used to tell me, he used to tell me there's no substitute for cubic inches. Like I always was loved small block Chevy's like a 327, you know, yeah. 283. And he always said, no way, there ain't no substitute for cubic inches, boys. And that's the same thing with the call. I'm comparing cubic inches to volume. So the revolt is like having a big block Chevy with a blower on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in my little saying is this, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of things. There's really nothing in coyote hunting that's, you know, ever the same. You know, another doesn't really ever happen the same way all the time, you know, but the one constant is if the coyotes can't hear it, they're not going to come. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, that's probably the only guarantee in coyote hunting is if they don't hear it, they're not showing up, you know? So you, I always err you on know, the side of maybe putting a little too much volume out there than not enough. Sometimes I've noticed I almost play louder, you know, louder than I need to even around here. Cause it's almost like the, I see them coming in charging harder and faster when I got it way louder than it needs to be. Cause I wonder sometimes if they think they're closer to the rabbit than they really are or something. You ever notice what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. You turn the volume way down and they kind of slow down even, but if you just leave the thing, I don't know, I'm probably going to start all kind of controversies. 
But say, I'm the same way, man. I leave the if cold it's real, going. If it, I've had it blaring real light. They come as, I mean, I almost wonder if they think they're closer to that rabbit. You know, when they're 400 yards out there coming hard, right? Yep. If that rabbit is way louder than a normal rabbit, you think they might think that they're closer to it than they really are? Well, I would think this, I mean, in the, on those same lines is, you know, that when their predatory instincts kind of take over, wouldn't you think that the, it's not like this rabbit is going to see, you know, you picture a real wounded rabbit, right? Let's just throw the scenario out there and it's, yeah. it's out there wah, 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 doing whatever. And all of a sudden this rabbit looks up and sees this coyote coming. Do you think it's going to start crying quieter? <laughs> I, <laughs> no. I, you know, no. I mean, I don't know if a rabbit has multiple volumes that it can cry at. So I would think as the coyote, his predatory instincts would expect that sound to be getting louder as he's getting closer. Wouldn't you think? I mean, that's what I think. I maybe, think maybe we're giving right, these coyotes yeah. too much credit and, you know, maybe we're, uh, you know, putting these, you know, human qualities, you know, that they think like we do into some aspects. I don't know, but I would think there's as a predator, they would expect it to get louder and louder. And maybe it would even excite them a little bit. Cause they know now, Hey, we're getting close now, you know, cause it is, mm -hmm. is loud. Um, yeah. you know, I but sometimes, you know, I mean, and we get into a whole bunch of tangents on this, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of guys turn the volume down as the coyotes coming in. A lot of guys will shut it off. You know, me, sometimes I'll actually run the volume up to help muffle the shot, um, you know, yeah. for multiple coyotes. But I really think it has to do with what you're set up to kill coyotes. I mean, if you're shotgunning coyotes or have the capabilities of killing coyotes right at the call, well, hey, let's let them run hard right up to the call. You know, who cares? But if you're sitting there with some newbies and yep. maybe your scoped rifles and you're trying to kill these coyotes, we probably don't want them running full speed right up at the call because it's kind of hard to get them killed. So, you know, I think shutting down the call yep. or volume it down may get them, you know, those coyotes can slow up a little bit, you know, maybe mm -hmm. they'll, they'll check up out there at hundred or 75 yards and, and look around. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's all kinds of theories on this, you know, and it's, that's a great thing about coyote and everybody has a, has a different one on it. Yep opinions are like something else everybody's got one right <laughs> <laughs> that is true that is true <clears throat> so back to this uh the the first day in colorado you know w we were banging out stands you know we had pretty good weather i mean i don't remember the wind was probably only blowing less than 10 that day which you know when we're planning these hunts that's yep. usually pretty good if we can if we can hammer nail it where the wind's not going to be bad you know it's it's always a bonus out there But once we, once we got going that day, the, you know, was it our, maybe our second stay, second coyotes, we, third coyotes we killed. Was that when you killed the double? TR killed the shotgun one. Yeah. Third or fourth. And then we killed another single, I believe. TR oh, that single shotgun. that winded us. Um, and I shot it trotting off across where the hay bales yeah. we were sitting on the hay bales. Um, yeah. And then yep. I, th I think you got the double. Um, you know, when you get to four or five coyotes by noon, you know, you start to get that idea that, Hey, you know, this, this, this day could be, you know, it could be one of these 1% club days. I call them, you know? Yep. Yep. Which, you know, in all the years I've been out there, I think seven was the best we'd ever done in a day out there. Um, with you and TR, if I can remember, right. We've had a lot of, you know, four five, six coyote days, but I think seven was the most yeah. we got in a day. Um, but you know, when you get into a day, a 10 coyote day, 
you know, shooting is a huge part of that. I mean, we shot really well. I mean, we had one coyote that got away. TR kind of had a chest on coyote that checked up at maybe what 70 yards and, and she kind of hit him a little low or, or off to the side, I think, you know, Yep. And it, yep. it ended up getting away. We didn't find that one, but every other guy, I mean, you made some great shots. I mean, heck you, uh, you killed a couple 200, 250 yard coyotes. We got a couple running coyotes. Um, man, that's what it takes to get a 10 coyote day. It seems like. Yep. You, we were on our game that day. That's for sure. You know, if you watch the, the video, whole, that whole Colorado trip, we, Oh yeah, it was good the whole thing, you know. If you've wa- if you watched episode five when when we kill that triple, you know, Rick, you and I were kind of hackling each other about you know who yeah. killed that last coyote, you know. So it's funny. I was looking. I I pulled that video up and got to looking, and I actually. So the the crazy thing is, and it it doesn't really play out. It's hard to tell on that stand, but the first coyote showed up. You know, we could see for eight hundred yards, and it always amazes me. Like all of a sudden, we look down and three hundred yards out, here's this coyote trotting down the hill. And you kind of wonder how the hell that coyote even get to there without yeah, seven I, of that's us seeing ex- it. That's exactly where I was looking too, which is weird. You know, but you that coyote ended up seeing us. I don't know if it saw us or, or something, but it turned around to leave and you got it whacked over there about, you know, 175 yards or so. Yep. Um, you know, and then you kind of rolled into some after the shot, you know, you rolled into some pup distress and stuff like that. And then this, yep. pa- this, this pair of coyotes, you know, came from a little farther downwind to the right. Um, and once again, they, they came off that hill and we didn't really even see them till they were halfway down the hill. Um, you know, kind of going for wind. I don't know if they were really circling, but it, they kind of ended up down that way. It's just kind of where they naturally came from. I think, you know, yeah, but you know, you killed that leap. They had every advantage to get out of there and get our wind, but they just checked up down there and G was to my right and. I had the scooch down, you know, so I could get shoot her, shoot across her bow a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I was I was trying to be nice, and I let her take the first shot, and I don't know where she hit, but she missed. And then then I whacked that one. And then what that other one did it? Did I shoot at it and it ran a circle? I don't even. Well, no, you shot you shot the second one down there first, down in the bottom. And then the third one kind of took off trotting. And what I didn't know is that's G and I actually shot at that coyote at the same time. And I was about 350 yards. You guys were only about 250. Right. And I didn't, you know, at the time, I didn't know that G shot, but we shot at the same time. But I see a bullet hit about three foot high on this coyote. Yeah. And and after I looked back at the video, my bullet was dead on, but I misjudged the wind and it hit right in front of the chest. If you look at it in slow motion, you see my bullet hit, but her, well, all I saw was her bullet hit like three foot high, but I thought it was my shot. Cause I didn't know that she'd shot. So then the coyote ran. Up the hill. So, so I made a quick adjustment. I was like, Oh man, I must, I'm, I don't know what happened. I have too much, you know, elevation on this sucker. So I readjusted and then that coyote ran up the hill and stopped about 40 yards. And that's when you got on it. And you and I shot at the same time, and I looked at the slow-mo on that, and one of us, whoever shot first, missed just a little to the right with the wind, and then the, whoever shot second was the one that got the damn thing. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to go back through and see who shot first and who shot second. Yeah, we'll have to sometime. <laughs> it, it was, you probably got it. I mean, I don't know. I was – You I were was, on that day, man. You were on. I was. You were, wow, I you was were killing solid. everything. 
I was actually just hoping somebody would miss it and the thing would take off screaming, hauling ass up that hill so I'd get some some running shots, you know. Man, they, they only had to go just a little ways further and they'd have, they'd have been backside of that that hill we were up against yeah and our they, wind was blowing right to that you know right to our yeah, right i know right I, down to that bottom sometimes it works out pretty good sometimes, sometimes everything things. just lines up perfect and you can't screw nothing up <laughs> even if you try <laughs> uh, you know in the you know that uh you know you you go one stand later all we did you know people ask this you know how far are you going in between stands you know we were hunting a huge a big chunk i don't know probably a you know, four or 5,000 acre pasture. I I'm guessing, I don't know. It was, it was enough where you, where you could yeah. make a few stands, kind of make a stand and drive in another three quarters of a mile or a mile and go up over the next hill and make another stand. And that's really the, the one, the last, our 10th coyote of the day, we were on another big Valley like that, but there was a few little finger cuts going down there. So I elected to go on the downwind around on this backside and, you know, it, the video didn't turn out great because we didn't have a whole lot of video footage of this coyote, but once again, you know, you guys had this coyote coming up the hill right to you. I saw it initially, uh, you know, and a lot of times we'll use two-way radios. We weren't using them on this hunt, but in that situation, I probably could have let you guys know a little bit that, hey, you got a coyote coming. I don't know if you'd have seen it anyway, the way that just that gradual slope of that hill going down there was really tough yeah. position. I, I don't think so. But, you know, anyway, this coyote, I'm just kind of waiting for this coyote to come flying out. <laughs> either hear a shot or see the coyote and sure enough here it comes and it has no clue i'm there you know and it comes running right at me and i actually missed on the first shot but uh dang they rolled the thing right into me on that one for the for the 10th coyote of the day but but that was pretty pretty exciting i know g was excited to be part of a, a 10 coyote day oh yeah and you could see mark you know these these ranchers have a little pride in that you know i mean they want to he'd been kind of saving his ranch for us you know and stuff like that yep. so you know he can kind of mark bust his chest up a little bit and say yeah you know you boys oh yeah glad to see you kill he had, he had a good trip <laughs> we haven't had a very good trip out there for a couple two or three years so he was he was wanting us to do good you know so oh yeah yeah you know so the second day we actually they had a, a christmas party to go to so we went and hunted some stuff at trs and you know that day you know we killed four coyotes that day you know it was a more of a grind you know that stuff that tr has out there is it's probably equivalent to a lot of people's stuff. You know, he might have sole access to some of it, but some of it, you know, who knows the ranchers may let anybody that asked, you know, so it was more, yeah. you know, you just never know. But, um, you know, we, we got into mange pretty bad that day and, you know, yep. it's, and we've seen it out there quite a bit over the last few years, you know, and obviously it affects coyote numbers. Yeah. But I think the yep. one the, the the one you killed was one with just wearing its underwear. I think you made a comment about that. Yeah, came in. It was eight degrees, and it came in in its underwear. <laughs> it it was a nasty looking one. It was a nasty looking one. <laughs> That's I, I hate seeing that out there because next year there probably still ain't going to be squat for coyotes out east there because them things were bad, mangy. Even Mark's had coyotes had little mange here and there. Not bad, but makes you wonder what the population will be like next year. Yeah, I mean, out there, it's a cycle that just never ends, you know. I mean, coyotes start yeah. pairing up and breeding. Well, one of the other gives it to the, the mate, you know, and then once the female gets it, you know, I can only imagine she gives it to all her pups in the den, you know. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then before you know it, you got, you know, eight or 10 coyote pups running around with it, you know, and who knows those young coyote pups, it probably kills them off quicker than normal. 
you know? Yeah, but I think it does. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. But you'll see that on the on episode number six is actually when we pick up and, and you'll see our uh, the second day, you know, when we kill those four and then and then we go back with Farmer Mark and G for half a day on that Sunday. And, you know, it seems like, you know, when we started off that morning, it was a big chunk and that that section of pasture. I think we were hunting was like eleven thousand acres or something like that. Um, I remember I pulled up. Pretty wide open too, and yeah, we, me big and rollers. Tr, we we've hardly never even hunted that till about the time we started going with you. I think actually. Yeah, yeah. Farmers Mark's dad didn't didn't want us shooting out there. Or we didn't even ever get to hunt that for till I think about time. Did we go there the first time you were out? You know it's probably we've been there i think the first time we ever went over there was when uh maybe maybe three years ago filming it was on i think season one maybe of the last stand we were filming and and we uh we killed that double where you killed the runner i think somebody missed it and you turned around looked at the camera and like holy crap i hit a runner remember that oh yeah 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 yeah, i remember yeah that blonde (laughs) pale one yeah 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 i I think that was the first time i'd ever been over to that chunk yeah but that's that's nice that's a good chunk we, that you can access it from different sides. We, we actually, now that I remember it, TR is always wanting to go over there and do a walk about, you know, walk all, all over the damn thing because he th- thinks it's too open to drive through it and call like we've been doing. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. I ain't doing that. You do that without, I ain't doing that. Farmer <laughs> Mark, you know, he ain't going to do that either. So no, but I, I kind of think that I never did like, like that over there. Cause it was too wide open. I'll tell you, we hit a right. I mean, the wind wasn't blowing once again, you know, five to 10 mile an hour, um, you know, and, and it worked out. I mean, we, it, it, the wind swirled on us that morning, you know, and obviously yeah. it's just so tough. We planned for a, I think it was supposed to be a Northwest wind or a West wind or Southwest wind. I don't remember. So we came in from the far East side, but those first couple stands, it was just doing that crap where the wind's swirling on us. And there's really no way to combat that, you know, at least that I, found other than just oh yeah maybe getting a big like wide that. open area and hope you can shoot well, when out we there. set up when we set up on that pond dam i saw that coyote coming 500 yards out and i'm like well this ain't gonna work because the wind's blowing <laughs> right down to draw to him and sure enough there he goes back out of there that, yeah that's painful to watch it is you know and when you when you got seven of us setting up and getting cameras set up and the wind's right and then about the time you hit play on the call then you hear it feel it hit the back of your neck you're kind of like ah damn <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> that's bad but once we kind of got in the middle of there the wind kind of straightened out you know it got a little bit later in the morning too so i think the wind picked up a little bit and it, and it squared away you know then i think what i mean we killed coyotes what in like three three stands in a row or something to finish that morning which was pretty pretty phenomenal yeah yeah, it was. I know we kept saying uh, you shot that three-legged wounded Especially one coming the last up the stand. <laughs> yeah. You know, you shot that. We we said it was going to be the last stand of the trip, and then I think you killed the wounded one coming up the fence line, you know. Yep. And then we said, oh, we can't. No, we're just getting into them now. So we made one more. And the funny thing yeah. was, TR and Mark had two stands in mind, and each of them had, you know, their own stand in mind. Yep. And we decided to make TRs. And I remember Mark was like, nah, you don't want to make that one. You know, we want to make the one I'm thinking of. And and we ended up killing a coyote. Yeah. TR shotgun the one. Big coyote came running right hard from the right. Um, 
And then we said, okay, we can't end on that. You know, let's go to your stand, Mark, what you want to make, you know, let's finish on that one. And, uh, you know, knock down a triple on the last stand of the trip. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was, that was pretty cool actually. Yep. That was cool for, Farm. you know, for G, you know, I was sitting with G on that one and, you know, and she doesn't have a lot of experience shooting coyotes. You know, she gets, she gets super amped up, you know, you know, which we all do. Yep. It's just yep. the more coyotes you shoot, you kind of learn how to control that a little bit, you know, and, and she gets super pumped up. And, and when that first coyote came in, um, you know, it was just, just on a slow trot coming right to the call. It was, you know, perfect, perfect coyote for, um, you know, and that was one of those, that was probably three minutes in or four minutes in, we killed that first coyote. Um, and there was that big drainage that kind of went to the South that looped way around and we couldn't see down in there. And, you know, I just ripped some pup distress, yep. you know, after that. And sure enough, I think I was playing SIG, SIG three and, uh, you know, that other pair of coyotes showed up and, and that's the fun part for me is now I was sitting right next to G. So her and I had great communication as far as what we were going to do, how we we're going to pull this double off. You know, one coyote checked up down there about 200 yards and he didn't come any further, but the, the, the lead one was coming right up real nice. And, and I was, uh, you know, you and I've talked about this before, you know, we, and we've been filming times where we've let the people we're hunting with shoot and the shots always haven't been the best, you know, we end up botching a stand and don't get the footage, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you're, yep. so, so in the back of your mind, you're kind of hesitant to, to, you know, let something like that play out, but you know, this worked out great. She ended up dumping that second coyote the the third coyote spun around and took off running and i got to i got to shoot some running running shots you know to to end the episode which is always oh that's my favorite thing to do i guess to shoot running coyotes so <laughs> oh yeah you're the you're the best at it there ain't no there ain't no doubt about that even tr tr and farmer mark are all the way back on that stand talking about how jeff how he can shoot them running coyotes <laughs> he did i think what mark made some comment about being in the military or something like that didn't he <laughs> yeah he said that damn military must have taught that nimnik how to shoot running coyotes pretty damn good <laughs> i wish i wish I, I could say that we uh the only moving targets we ever shot was some guy standing in the pit like walking like four miles an hour you know not running 40 <laughs> 40 miles an hour you know <laughs> yeah hey you know what it reminds me of is that movie shooter when that guy's up in that turret at the very beginning and the driving in the truck down the road about yeah. Miles an hour and old yeah. Mark Wahlberg head shoots him at like 800 yards and the truck's going mm -hmm. about 40, you know? Yeah. That's a, <laughs> you must've been shooting running coyotes to be able to pull that off. Yeah. That's a fact. <laughs> uh, no, it was a great. Yep. Trip, no, man. that was, that was, I was setting up there doing covering the downwind and I got to watch all that. So that, that was pretty awesome. And you're, you're better setting with somebody, you know, Cause you do a lot of that and I don't, I get, I get frustrated and then I just start shooting them out from underneath of them is what I do. <laughs> I don't know why I just do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Over the years of doing my schools and the, a little bit of a few guided hunts and just all that kind of stuff. It, yeah. It, it does teach you a little patience and, you know, setting that up where you can give them the best chance to get a good kill. And then you kind of have the confidence that, okay, if they do miss this damn thing, it's only a hundred yards all, you know, nine out of 10 times, I'm going to kill it running out of here. You know, it's not going to get away, you know? Yeah. Uh, so you, you kind of, yeah, and that, a little more patience. I can't say that. So that probably, you kind of want that to happen. Don't you? 
Hey, I'm not going to lie. Secretly, I'm like, okay, you know, do, <laughs> do I want him to miss so I can get some running <laughs> shots on this sucker, you know? <laughs> but sometimes I get yeah. lackadaisical because it's such a, you know, what I would consider such a chip shot, you know, a 70, 80, 90 yard broadside shot that I don't even, I'm not even ready at all. And then all of a sudden they're like, boom, miss. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and then you're trying to scramble up on your gun and, you know, but, yeah. uh, yep. but it happens, it happens. But, you know, the last thing I want to touch on here is, is just a little bit more on land access and how important that is. You know, I, you know, I'm sure you get tons of messages like I do, you know, what would you say? Do you, do you ever have a number in mind as far as, you know, how long you like to let places sit before you go back and hunt them again? Do you ever have a, a time period in mind that you go off of? Mm, not really, not around here that much. I, I like to never have to go back to the same place twice a winter, but we, we do, you know, dads. And I feel like if you, you call them in and you get them killed, there's going to be more move in there, you know, so there'll be fresh ears in there. I don't know, probably three times a winter. Yeah. But yeah. I'll I'll hunt below the dads, you know, they're, you know, them five, six spots right around dad's house. I might hit them five or six times a winter. And probably the last two, we don't call nothing in. Just Yeah, yeah. But I I don't know. That's the thing. You gotta you gotta if you want to kill a lot of coyotes and be successful at it, you better just keep if it's wind deer and crap and you were going to go calling on a saturday you and a buddy of yours and it's too windy or it's crappy out go instead of sitting around the house drinking go knock on some doors tr every one of them places we go with with tr he gives them christmas presents his wife makes i don't know that hard candy you know like that christmas stuff and you see him with these little bags walking up there knocking oh, yeah, on the yeah. door so I mean, he helped some of them farmers. Me, I've been lucky because we own the Napa store in Clay Center. And everybody knows, you know, Ricky kills coyotes. He's been doing that, you know, forever. So yeah, yeah. the farmers come in there, you know, and say, hey, they know, you know what I mean? So that that has given me a lot of access to the Napa store, you know, guys coming in there, farmers, somebody will say, hey, you know what I mean. You know how that goes. So, oh yeah, I've just been able to have a, a lot of access because of the Napa store and knowing all the local farmers. Yeah, but if you huge. want to kind of keep a place to yourself, then you got to do a little more than just go shoot coyotes. You gotta, you gotta help them out. If you become friends with them, you know, I don't know. Some farmers don't like people asking them, you know, getting pestered and bugged too. And if you pick up trash or whatever laying around when you're out there on their land, you know, do go above and beyond what the call of duty to set a good example. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's huge. And it's part and that's what people, you know, we kill a lot of coyotes in a season and what people I don't know if people assume that we're going to these same spots over and over and over and killing hundred, two, three hundred coyotes a year. You know, I mean, it takes they must because they ask me on they ask me on Facebook all the time. You know, I I someday someday when I retire, I might have to start saying 
what I really want to say on Facebook, but right now I'm not going to, but some people, you know, say they tell me they've had a revolt for a year and haven't called a coyote in yet. I know they got to be going to the same five places or something. They ought to take up golf because all they're doing is wrecking it for the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Land access is key. I, you know, and it's weird. I almost think sometimes hunters get, they get in a rut, you know, where it's, you know, you know, you have this spot that you've been to three times in the last two months, you know, and you have a day to go hunt coyotes. So instead of using that day, like you said, to go knock on doors or maybe go explore some new country, whether maybe it's pub, maybe you live out West where you have millions of acres of public, maybe you don't, but you yeah. know, you have all these farmhouses all over the place. And, um, you know, instead of taking that fourth day and going hunting the spot for the fourth time in the last month or two, you know, just because that's the only place you got to go, you know, go knock on doors, go try to explore some yep. areas. To me, the land access is an ongoing thing. You know, we've been hunting coyotes for 20, 30, 40 years, and we're still every year. I'm trying to expand on places I have to hunt, you know, talking with landowners, talking with the neighbors of the guys that I already hunt on, you know, all those things are extremely important. It's like you said, the ultimate goal as a coyote hunter is, should, is you should have enough spots to hunt where you never have to hunt the same spot twice in a season, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's the ultimate that, goal, right? Yeah, that, that would be the ultimate goal for sure. But yeah, it's, I don't know, getting, having lots of places to go, you'll be more successful if you do, because you won't be, you know, you know, yep. I don't know. Yeah, it's, you can't call the it's same. It's not you know, easy to do either. Coyote all the time. It's just coyotes get smart quick, you know, and there's, you know, I wish we could sit here and tell them, I mean, you're the sound master. I wish, I wish you had a sound that was like the secret sound. Unfortunately, there's not. I mean, a lot of people think, I think, I think they think that there is, and we're using these yeah. secret sounds. We're not telling with people, you know? No, I mean, no. I don't, if you're hunting these educated, smart coyotes, man, it's just, there's a few things you can try, but it's, it's tough, man. I mean, the only thing you can do is continue to keep, you know, the ground as fresh as you can and have plenty of options and access and, and different things like that. Yep. You know, when I was it, you last go thing night I to, hunting too. You, well, there you, you go. go night do, hunting. You can go do some, you can go do some night hunting and knock out <laughs> some of them smart ones. I know that. <laughs> yeah we're gonna i'm gonna have you back on here on a couple episodes down the road here and we're gonna talk about our thermal hunt in kansas a few weeks yep. ago and we'll get into that um but you know the last piece i want to leave people with as far as land access is you may be hearing all this and you would be like well that's great jeff and rick but how do i really know how many places i need to hunt you know what i like to do is is figure out you know if we're talking about a a person that hunts in the fall and winter okay maybe october november december january whatever february um you need to figure out how many, how many days, how many stands are you planning on making in a month? You know, if you're going to hunt coyotes, whether you you have a job and you can only get out on a Saturday, or maybe, maybe you're a night hunter and you can only, you're going to hunt four hours, you know, a few nights a week, whatever you need to, you know, say, okay, I'm going to make roughly, you know, 40 stands in a month. You know, I'm going to hunt maybe eight different times and I'm going to make five stands each time I go out for a half a day or half a morning, you know? So once you figure out how many stands you yep. are going to make in a month, then I double that. All right. So I'm going to make 80 stands in two months. That's really how many stands at minimum you should have access to, you know? Yeah. And whether you're taking your Onyx or whatever mapping app or whatever you have, and you're dropping pins and saving those stands, you know, because not all those stands are going to be good for a North wind, not, you know, some of them might be good for a South wind and vice versa. 
But, you know, that's really what I tell people is probably the easiest way to go about it is figure out how many stands you're going to make in a month and then double that. And that's really how, at minimum what you should have if you really want want to have success throughout the whole season. That makes sense. Yep. Nope. That makes perfect sense. But I doubt I doubt it if most of these the guys listen and they're going to go do any of this hardly, <laughs> though, I'll bet you. It's more work than the hunting. It is. It is. And it's a, yeah. it's such an important piece. You know, it's no secret. You know, I, I'm at 241 coyotes since October and I put 21,000 miles on my dang brand new Tundra, you know? So that'll <laughs> tell you, I mean, I mean, that's a ton of miles yeah. to kill that many coyotes. You know what I'm saying? I've been in like six different States, yep. you know? So it's not like I'm killing 200 coyotes, you know, in a little 50 mile circle around where I live, you know, it's, it's covering tons of ground, yeah. tons yep. of access. I don't even know how many thousands of acres we've covered you know, up to this point, you know, but man, it just, it takes a ton of, ton of ground to do it. So I hope everybody listening, you know, spend the time, develop those relationships and, and, uh, you know, land access and building up that access is an ongoing thing. It never ends. Yep. Well, I'm done listening to you for the day, man. I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> All <Hey>. right. <laughs> well, yeah. appreciate you having on. If, if anybody, as always check out Rick's website, verminatorpc.com. He'll sell if you're looking looking to buy a Lucky Duck e-call, get it from Rick. You know, he'll hook you up with uh extra sound folders, right? Rick's favorites. Yep, Rick's favorites, chapter one. I put on free also. Nice, nice. Rick's killers one. Real quick, what's been uh on your sounds lately? You've been selling on your website. What's been the one uh been a been a hot seller lately? People guys been getting? Uh uh spit and piss, little pup fight. Female invitation five. Gooby kicking ass two. Breeding battle four. Ooh, there you go. Well, if you're looking to get some new sounds on your e-collar, yep. there you go. Verminatorpc.com. And it's pretty simple, right? Got you'll you'll put those sounds on an SD card for them, or do you email them now so they can just download them off their computer and put uh, them on their SD card? Sh- sh- my daughter sends them in an email link. Awesome. We can do a card, but I. I don't do much of that anymore. Yeah. Super easy. If you, if you're not familiar with the lucky duck calls, you just pull the SD card out of the back. You pop it in your laptop or your home computer, drag the new files that you download onto your computer that Rick emails you pop them in a new folder. Super, super simple. So sounds good, buddy. Well, yep, one of th- so easy. A ca- so easy. A caveman can do it. <laughs> well, want to thank you rick for being on the show want to thank swagger bipods for sponsoring this episode um you can visit them at swaggerbipods.com and if you're looking to run that qd42 that rick likes that's where you can find it you know i'm the hunter 42 guy he likes the qd the quick detach one he's old school you know he wants to feel like he still got a set of shoes yeah, i'm old school hand. <laughs> hey, i gotta use it for a walking stick <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> uh but also want to thank Eastman's for putting this all on, as well as Sig Sour Optics and Lucky Duck Predator Calls. Can't do it with these guys. Uh, if you like the comment, be sure and drop those guys a line and uh, tell them that you enjoy the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast, because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be able to bring this to you guys. But uh, that's all we have for you for this one. Till the next one, we'll catch you later. Thanks. <laughs>